everybody, and welcome to a new episode of The Cusp Show, the Columbia University Sports Podcast, where we talk about the business of sports, and we do that with industry executives, personalities, athletes, students, and of course, my trusty co-host, Joe Favrito. Welcome, Joe. Last but not least, I like where I said. So. Last but not least, <laughs> and we are going to get back to a topic which seems to be consuming not only the industry right now, but our podcast and me and you personally lately, which is the subject of video gaming and esports. So are you ready for that? Yeah, well, especially since Maurice keeps dragging us into it. You know, we can't go <laughs> Every time we try to get out, he pulls us back yeah. in. Yeah. Uh, but no, we're really excited about that because it's the, the amount of buzz around this topic right now is, is kind of unprecedented in, in our business. Uh, so it's really good to learn as much as all of us to learn as much as we can and meet key people in the industry. So today's episode will focus on video gaming esports, and we've got a great guest. His name is Josh Hafkin, and Josh is in brand management at Bethesda Softworks, which is a leading video game publisher now entering the esports space. Uh, Josh is down in Maryland where Bethesda Softworks is based. He's a uh, a graduate of UNC Chapel Hill, and then with master's degree from our friends down at Georgetown, the sports management program uh, in Georgetown, and uh, we'll talk about that later on. But let's start with a big warm welcome for Josh. So, Josh, welcome to the Cusp Show. Thank you so much for having me. Really happy to be here. Oh, well, we're we're really pleased to have you. There's a lot we're gonna we can talk about, but couple of things to start. Let, let's just get to know you a little bit. Um, so a little bit about your background, but more importantly, as a segue into a discussion about what's going on in esports right now, you're two weeks, I believe, off of your visit to E3 for the uninitiated. E3 is the big annual American video game conference, which just occurred in Vegas a couple weeks ago, the Electronic Entertainment Expo, I believe is the official name. Uh, Josh was there, and he's going to talk about his impressions of E3. But Josh, let's uh, just back up for a second. Tell us about yourself and how you ended up in the video game business. Sure. Um, well, I've, I've always been interested in competition. Um, the first half of my life, probably most of my life, I was a swimmer and um, developed, you know, a really deep understanding of competition, hard work, all of the elements that go along with that. Um, up through my career, I, I mainly swam. I was, I was an athlete. And um, after the 2012 Olympic trials, I retired and then tried to figure out what I was going to do with my life. And um, what I'd seen is that I, I really knew athletes. I knew athletes. I knew sports. Um, I knew marketing. I knew, I knew all these things. And I thought, you know, how can I, how can I put this all together? Um, so my first job post um, swimming career was working for the Capitals and the Wizards doing photography. Um, I, I was able to kind of um, get my eye, really understand mm -hmm. a lot of the marketing behind, a, um, you know, a big time um, program like Monumental and, and, you know, really kind of sink my teeth into the sports world. Um, along that time, I, I did a couple other um, smaller jobs. I did internet sales for a uh, high school website platform, um, and I worked for DC's Olympic bid. 
um, which was a, a really, really uh, amazing experience doing social media for them, trying to drum up, drum up support in the D.C. area for uh, D.C.'s Olympic bid. From there, I, I went on to Red Peg Marketing, um, where I did a number of different things, worked for Square Enix, Ubisoft, um, Jägermeister, uh, a number of different clients. And one of the things that I was able to do was um, start and, and really push this Geico gaming initiative. So we did all of Geico's marketing or experiential marketing. So they were always looking for where are the people, um, where's the next big demographic. And we were looking at these trends and we were seeing all of these comic cons and, and um, gaming events pop up. And um, this was about three, four years ago. And, um, I had an opportunity where um, my, the, the research that had to be done um, fell to me. No one else was going to do it. And, and I also, all of a sudden, you know, watching video game competitions, going to video game competitions was my homework. And it really changed how I, I thought about things. Because before, I, I thought that my job was going to be in sports. Um, I, I, like you said, I went to the Georgetown Sim program and, and learned a, a great deal about all kinds of things. And after that, I was prepared to try to get a job for the Washington Nationals or, or the Capitals. And, and, you know, those jobs are very, very hard to find. And so I had this opportunity in eSports. And um, it's, been, it's been absolutely incredible. And, and pretty much ever since the day that I decided that this was where I was going to be, um, it's been right, and everything has just kind of fallen into place, and, and I've met great people, and I've worked incredibly hard, and I, I've traveled to events, um, you know, big and small to try to really understand this demographic. Um, and so my, my, you know, my history is a, a, a sports history that, you know, when I was training and, and swimming, um, we would come home and we would play Call of Duty together or Halo together, and you know, we would sit around and, and, you know, I'd be with my best friends playing video games. And I wasn't always playing, but I was always entertained. So then a couple of years later when somebody said, well, why would you ever watch somebody play video games? I said, well, I, I did it all the time. And it was actually some of the best times, you know, talking smack with my friends and, you know, competing against each other. And so, you know, as a sport and, and as a swimmer, uh, another sport where people are kind of, uh, it, it's devalued in a way. Um, I was able to kind of understand what the esports community was going through. This sense of, you know, wanting and needing some validation and wanting and needing some some um, help really to elevate past um, where it is now. It, it seemed very, very like a, a very comfortable place for me to be. So um, my story so far has been really, really fantastic. I can't really complain about anything. So, so let's, um, I want to touch on a couple things there that, that kind of flew out. You just kind of said, oh, you know, I touched on some things. But sure. um, talk a little bit about the Olympic, almost Olympic experience. So were you sitting around playing League of Legends with Rowdy Gaines and Michael Phelps at some point? <laughs> or was it, uh, how close did you come? And then one of the other things that, that, and this has come up on a couple of other podcasts with people like Gary Coleman sure. of Wham Network and uh, some other people, you talk a little bit about gaming, and then you also mention esports. So 
Is sure. your focus on the big picture of gaming, which is much bigger than esports, and how do you differentiate where the market is? And you touched on Geico, obviously, a, a company that is very involved in esports. So swimming, the big picture, and then um, kind of uh, where you see all this right now. But start with the swimming because, sure. you know, playing video games with, with Michael Phelps could be pretty interesting to hear about. This. <laughs> anyway. Unfortunately, that never, that never occurred. Um, Damn. I, I wish. Okay. I, I bet I could take him, though. Um, I don't know, maybe if I'll, I'll throw down a challenge and see if he's listening. Um, but, uh, you know, swimming was amazing. It, it really taught me a ton. Um, it taught me a, a number of things. It taught me a number of things about myself, um, hard work, um, you know, waking up early, you know, that, that, you know, to achieve something, swimming is very much based off of, off of doing a ton of work for one individual moment, you know, maybe 30 seconds or less. So that means you're training from August until, you know, sometimes March for one moment. And you go through ups and downs and you have, you know, highs and lows and, and there are days that you think that, that no one can touch you and there's days that, you know, you question why you're even doing this. And I think that, you know, that's, that's life. And so to have that experience very early kind of, help me understand what, what this is all about. And, and just, you know, if you really want something, you have to grind for it. And, and, you know, at the time, and to be very honest, I could have done better. And so it's one of the things that I've really taken in my business career and, you know, no one else is going to drive this forward other than me. So for me, it really taught me how to, how to push. And so I actually, um, retired from swimming after I was done with college. I was not pleased with how my career ended. And I ended up um, talking with a friend over a couple of beers and, and we just floated out the idea of training for Olympic trials and trying to make it and then going. And um, at this point I'd had, uh, I'd had two ACL tears, um, one, one repair. And so I was not, you know, the, the athlete of my, you know, prime, but, I had not, had never been to Olympic trials and it's the fastest swim meet in the world, much faster actually than the Olympics top to bottom. So, you know, all of a sudden this, these couple beers turned into, Hey, let's, let's, let's start training. And so we trained for a year and um, I was trained incorrectly throughout my college career. And so um, I got to train my way with my good friend. We, we had a coach that was afar, So it was really all, all on us. And we woke up every day and we trained together and then we'd hit the gym and then we'd go do yoga or, or you know, every day was scheduled and, and regimented. And it was, it was the best time of my life, truly. I mean, the, the, when you get to commit yourself fully to, to an endeavor and eliminate work and, and school and, and whatever else is, is a distractor from that, um, you know, we have very, very few opportunities to do those kind of things in life. And so, I really jumped on it and, and had an incredible experience. And um, two weeks before the Olympic trials, I made my cut and I was able to go. So I wasn't, you know, I wasn't competing for an Olympic spot, but I was swimming in the same pool. Um, and it really, you know, it really taught me a number of things. It taught me all that, the hard work stuff that I spoke about earlier. And then also, you know, I, I'd been trained incorrectly. I had somebody telling me that, that what I was doing was incorrect for four years. And then, after six months to eight months of training the way that I thought I was going to, I should have been trained, I um, ended up making Olympic trials. So it really validated, you know, how I felt about 
everything that had happened and, and put some closure to all that and really kind of, you know, gave me a very firm sense of, of the fact that, you know, believe in, in you know, if you have something and, and you're truly feeling a certain way and somebody's telling you something different, I mean, they might not be always giving you the best advice. And I think that it, it was a great eye-opener for me to, you know, sometimes you got to stand strong. And, and even if it meant transferring schools or doing something like that, I, I should have made some of those jumps. So, you know, swimming was, was an incredible, incredible experience for me and, and really set me up. Um, you know, one of the things that I really missed post-swimming was the competition. Um, and at this point, I, I you know, I have ACL injuries. I'm doing this. I'm not playing basketball with my buddies anymore. So how can we compete? What can we do to, to compete against each other? And, and so eSports was this amazing opportunity to compete and, and be part of the competition and, and all of that and, and also, you know, really, you know, feel that, that, you know, rush again, which was incredible. Um, but one of the other parts hey, Josh, about it can is I that it really – Josh, can I interrupt for a second? Because, Joe, I think this is sure, a really interesting course. point. Um, and that is, you know, the reality is as people grow up and you go through the more the competitive system of sports in America, which goes from, uh, you know, Little League into AAU and middle stage stuff and then into junior varsity varsity, the fact of the matter is most of us die off and don't play competitive sports anymore. So you have a very limited number of people that make these teams by – the varsity level than a very, very, very small number of people that can actually do any sports in college, which leaves a huge number of people probably with that same feeling Josh had, albeit at a later, more advanced state, which is enjoying competition, wanting to do something athletically, so to speak, in, with, in a social context. And, you know, maybe this is part of the, one of, one of the underlying social trends that's driving esports right now. I mean, what do you think Absolutely. about that, Josh? Yeah. I mean, the, the, I never really the, thought the about esports that are kind of, they're a great equalizer. You don't have to be, you don't have to have, you know, uh, a massive lung capacity and, and, you know, the perfect swimmer's body. And, and, you know, you don't have to be six, eight and 300 pounds. Like you, 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 these, these physical attributes that you need for other sports are eliminated in, in esports. And so it really does level the playing field and, and, you know, yeah, but, you can but say does it really? About, I mean, because I don't want you to. I, I want you to keep going on this. But you have to sure. have a certain amount of specific skills to be really good at esports. And one of the things that that I've heard, and again, I don't want to kind of get into an argument about it, but people no say, worries. "Oh, anybody can go do this." Well, it's not really true because you have to have a certain set to get to be the best at anything, right? So definitely, so, definitely. But it's not. I want to make that physical. Point. So. Yes, you're you're absolutely right. But like in the same way that like me as a as a you know six foot you know two hundred and fifty pound dude, I'm not playing in the NBA. You know, like that's not happening. But like there's a chance that I could be an esports pro, you know, like it's, it's, there's some physical limitations that just you, you have to face in other sports that, you know, if you're, if you're five, seven, you're, you know, unless you're Isaiah Thomas, you're probably not playing in the, in the NBA and he's not five, seven. So, you know, like it's, it's, I do think that, that you're right. Not anybody can hop on. Um, but, you know, when you're talking about, um, you know, hand-eye coordination, dexterity, um, you know, the processing, the neural pathways that you develop when you do these, 
different um, actions, that I do believe can be, you know, a lot of people can do that and, and hmm. come into the esports world. So maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe there is a, a big gap, you know, and, and there, there is a differentiation there, but the entry to play is much, much lower, I think. Right, Josh, if you, you know, that's actually a good segue to the second part of the question is like, wh sure. what is that connecting point between the general idea and activity of video gaming and esports? Is it that, is it the, you know, you and your friends sitting around in college and saying, gee, Josh, you're, you happen to be really good at League of Legends, you should do something with this. I mean, what does that path look like for the average person who is really into video gaming, but then says, aha, I want to actually take this to the next level. I want to get into eSports. What does that look like? Sure. So I guess the, the, the simplest way to, to differentiate it is that eSports are video games. So, so video games is any, any type of, of video game. And eSports are a subsection of video gaming that is based on competition, that you're, you're competition-based. So, you know, the, some of the games that we make, like Fallout and Skyrim and, and some of those big open-world games, those are not eSports. E that's, a, that's a video game. You're, you're going right. in, you're having experience. You're, you're competing in different ways. There is definitely a competition aspect to it. Um, but it, it's different in the sense that, you know, there's not um, a ranking system. You're not going on tour. You're not doing, doing some of these other things that kind of define what we are now defining as eSports. Okay. So that said... Um, talk about what's going on with you guys at Bethesda, the new the new Quake uh, esports tournament you're getting into. But before you do that, or or in the midst of doing that, talk about what you experienced at E3, some of the key takeaways, uh, and and help everybody listening kind of cut through some of the hype that seems to be pervasive in the in the sports media right now about esports. Tell us what you think's going on. Sure. Um... So E3 is, is an incredible event. It's really, everybody brings their big guns. Everybody, you know, really tries to impress. This is, you know, your E3 showcase, your, your release can make or break a game sometimes. Um, and so, you know, for us at Bethesda, we were incredibly excited. Quake is a game that has been around um, since 1996. It's actually the, the very first kind of shooter um, it was it was an arena shooter that people got together and they were you know just hooked up their computers in a LAN party and started playing against each other just you know because they were you know it wasn't a sanctioned event or it wasn't any it just they got together and they wanted to play and um, since then there's been four iterations of Quake and Quake Champions is the fifth and what this really is is kind of like a return to that. Um, what we really wanted to do, and we made a, a big announcement, we uh, announced a, a million-dollar Quake tournament. So we've got a million-dollar prize pool. It's going to be split between um, team and dual, so it's 4v4 and 1v1. And um, it's going to be taking place at QuakeCon, which is the last weekend in August in Dallas, Texas. <laughs> and for us, it's really, it's really like, you know, it's like awaking a giant. Quake, is, Quake is, has so much legacy, so much story, so many people coming out and saying, oh, man, I, I remember playing Quake, or I'm still playing Quake. 
Um, and we've really, we've really elevated it. The, the game has really um, progressed in, in a, a wonderful manner. The devs and, and producers have done an incredible job of, of kind of changing things, keeping it similar, keeping it fresh and new, and, and kind of melding all of that together into this, what I think is a, a, a really, really brilliant game. And um, so for us, we just we wanted to use E3 to really announce to the world that Quake is back in a big way. So we had a, a free-to-play area where people could come and play, and, and it was amazing to see people, you know, just hop on and play with random people and, and you know, have, you know, the smiles were endless. It was, it was amazing. And then we also, uh, in a partnership with ESL, we ran uh, two days of programming that um, we just kind of wanted to reintroduce everybody to Quake again. Um, we introduced the, the, dual, the, the dual versus the team modes, uh, introduced some of the new maps, um, introduced uh, new, new characters. We had interviews with devs, interviews with pros. We had some pros versus Joes. We had some pros versus devs. We, had, we kind of just wanted to bring this all back. We wanted to bring back all those warm, warm fuzzy Quake feelings. So for us, it was a, a great success. Um, to me, I was so excited. And, and just to talk to everybody who was really thrilled that, that Quake was back. Quake is, is really, truly special. Um, unlike, you know, I, not that other games aren't special and people don't have stories, but I really do feel as though Quake is, is unique in the sense that, you know, people got together and hooked up their computers because they really wanted to play together and they wanted to play this game. And this was the first. And every game, you know, every game that, that somebody makes that imitates is less good. So it's kind of like you're coming back to the original game where all this started. And, and so I'm very, very excited to be part of the eSports side and also the brand side. You know, we're trying to make this Quake brand the coolest brand. I want to have awesome merchandise. I want to have, like, you know, really badass trailers. I want, I want people to know that if, if, if it's Quake, it's high quality. Um, that's awesome. So, you know, yeah, that's... we really, yeah, that was what E3 was about for us, announcing this and then right. making sure everybody remembered what it was. So, Josh, you, you mentioned uh, in, in the early part of your answer uh, sure. QuakeCon in Dallas at the end of August, and I smiled probably like Joe smiled, even though I'm not sitting next to him right now, uh, <laughs> because we we keep hearing about all these cons. So there's TwitchCon, and the one that Joe and I were thinking, of course, was HoopyCon from our yep. favorite show, Silicon Valley, uh, yep. which is which was my theme last week. We're um, going to do a MauriceCon uh, pretty soon, I think. So. <laughs> right, so yeah. Maurice I'll be there for that. That will be the most popular one. But it seems like there's an endless number of these cons. So for, again, the uninitiated, which is probably most of our audience, and even to a certain extent, me and Joe, paint a picture of the, what QuakeCon will look like. Sure. So, so QuakeCon is the largest LAN party in the world. Essentially, what this started was people brought their computers. It's, it's a BYOC. It's a bring-your-own-computer party. <laughs> And it's, it's okay. literally, it's days and days. You come in, you set up your rig. Some people have incredible rigs that they've spent all year building. And you game. And it's, it's, it's open, I, I believe, 24 hours. And just anybody can come set up their computer and play. And QuakeCon is, is truly, truly a unique event. Because it really did start in 1996. A bunch of people got together 
had no affiliation with id at the time, or, or they might have had a loose affiliation. And they got together, and they just wanted to play. And then they said, this was amazing. Let's come back next year. And so it started wow. with a handful, and then each of the years it's really grown and grown and grown. And so now it's, um, you know, Bethesda, we announce, you know, you know, sneak peeks and different things like that. Um, but it's very much a, a competition-based um, event where people come and just want to play together. So, you know, unlike a, a Comic-Con where it's, you know, there are vendors and things like that, this is very much focused on, on playing together. So, right. and, and Josh, you called very, it a very, very cool you event. Called, right. You called it a LAN party. Was that the acronym LAN for Local Area Network? That, that is correct. Wow, oh, Tom, you okay. get extra points for that one. Yeah, well, no, no, well but done. I, I want so, to make a point, again, adding certain historical context to the reference to 1996, <laughs> for those who care. But what allowed that to happen, of course, was the launch of the inter commercial internet, 1994-1995. And that's when video gaming went and ended up starting to move in the direction of connected gaming, right? And I guess Quake, Josh, was one of the first popular examples of that, I gather. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and okay. now it's what they build every year to hook up all these computers together is is seriously no joke it, it's it's a modern marvel every year right. these these people come together build a, a network that connects hundreds and hundreds of computers together and and every cord has to be specially cut and every like th there's a whole organism that lives at QuakeCon mm -hmm. to make sure that everybody has a great experience so is there like a tinder for for the quake players when they go there like you can find <laughs> Find someone to play with if you want. I, I don't know. I, I think that's a great idea, but uh, okay. uh, I will have to approach Tinder about that. App. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. Uh, I mean, they so, have all these other dating services. I'm surprised there's not like a gamer dating app yet. We're going down a bad yeah. path here. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, one one last question on that, um, and and this is for Maurice, who I think is listening uh, for the new WAM network that's going to be launching soon and a prior our prior uh, previous podcast guest, uh, Gary, um, it sounds like that would be a really fun event to film and do a feature about this QuakeCon 24-7 uh, video game with everybody each out doing themselves with their, their best PC rig. It uh, sounds really funny. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. All right, Joe, did you have another question? Yeah, I, 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 a couple that? things. Yeah. I don't want to let you three slide because um, yeah, yeah. Sure. about the scale of, of what was there and you know, oh. people have talked about going from hall to hall and, you know, going into various places. And there's obviously people who are very dedicated to specific games. One of the things that, that we continue to wonder about in the esports versus gaming community is mobile versus playing on a console. Uh, sure. You know, Atari obviously just recently announced that they're bringing back some of the classic games, which, you know, I guess you could say Quake fits into some of those classic games, but how how are you able um, as a as a purveyor of a, a very popular game now on the comeback? How are you going to be able to bridge that gap into the mobile environment? Is it possible? And where do you see mobile gaming going versus people sitting around? And you talked about the connected networks of laptops or PCs. Sure. So, um, so social is huge. I mean, we'll get to Jimmy Lin eventually, but this guy drove into my head <laughs> mobile, social, global, or global, mo mobile, social. I, he said it a million yeah. times. 
and it's it's truly the the future. Um, Low I, I think so. that yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, you know, for us and Quake, Quake is a PC only game, so we we definitely lose some potential players by not releasing on um, some of the other platforms. But at the end of the day. Um, the people who are most hardcore will tell you that PC is the way to go. Um, I think that mobile is, is developing. It's getting there. Um, it has a ton of potential. Um, but at this point, the, the PC and the console eSports are, are really dominating. Um, but it definitely doesn't mean that, you know, people are, are – I think right now, whatever structure that we're building for eSports is going to be for the game's 10 years from now, and they all might be, you know, social games. So um, I'm not going to sit here and say that, that social is, is going to be absolutely the future. I think that there's definitely going to be um, always a need for, for keyboard and mice, or for example, like in, in the uh, fighting game community, like you're going to use a fight stick or, or controller. Um, you know, it, it very much is game specific, what kind of hardware you're using. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that one of the nice parts about it is that you're not, you don't have to eat your competition. You know, you can, you can have a, a PC and a mobile eSport, and they're pulling from different demographics and they're both awesome. So, so, so you know, right now it's, it's kind of separate. So I, I want to pick up on one more thing and I don't know why we're more hypersensitive on kind of some of the things you're no saying, worries. because some of them are, are kind of counterintuitive to where, a lot of people are talking about the world. You, you mentioned something that you just said something about 10 years from now in an yeah. environment which most people are believing that 10 minutes can be a long time or six months can be a long time, even though it, games obviously take a long time to develop and then change. But it, it's really interesting. How, how do you deal with the time between now and 10 years from now in growing your business, which is in an extremely fluid and volatile space because a lot of people are jumping in, not knowing what pool they're jumping into. But can you actually sit there today and say, we have a 10-year vision as to where this is going to go? Because frankly, and Tom, correct me if I'm wrong, I've never heard anybody that we've talked to in the last two years in the gaming and esports space talk about 10 years. They're usually talking about 10 weeks or 10 months. Yeah, yeah. I agree with um, that. Um, so, you know, for that, I think it's, it's really important to understand that, like, this is all in flux, but, you know, one of the things that you're seeing a ton of is, like, all the organization. Like, what is the league going to look like? What is, um, what is the NBA? You know, the NBA is, is doing a, a big conference. So, like, what is, is that? Will it be a success? Is it going to be a success? Um, there's a number of things that you know, people are going to take stabs at and um, from there have to, you know, reevaluate things. So I think, you know, for us, as we launch our game, um, we just always have to be present and also looking forward. Um, It's one of the things that that I love because it really does push you. Um, I really do think that everything that we're doing now is really building a base. Esports are, are really, you know, in their infancy um, compared to other, you know, compared to the NBA or NHL or MLB or anything like that. So, you know, you, you talk about 
what things will what things will happen. You know, maybe it is all social. Maybe the internet is so good that we don't need to connect. We don't need to use console. Maybe you know, there's there's so many variables there that um, you have to be present and also ready to adapt. So. Um, I'm always looking 10 years down the road because that's, that's where we have to keep an eye on. Um, you know, what are the trends? Where, you know, who's doing what? Yeah, so speaking of trends, let's get your opinion about the advent and growth of VR in competitive, in, in video gaming in general, but also into esports. Tell us about what you guys are doing at Bethesda in that space or what you're thinking about doing, and also we'd love to get sure. your opinion about um, a debate that continues around the business, which is that this will be the killer application for VR adoption. Like the gamers will lead the way. Uh, I want to see if you agree with that and uh, just get your perspective on VR as both an enhancement and as a business driver. Sure. Um, I think VR is incredibly cool. I mean, we just announced Doom VR and, um, and Skyrim VR, or Fallout VR, sorry. And so um, we are, are very much in on the VR. Um, you know, Bethesda has been one of the, the leaders of the forefront of, of VR. So we're very, very, as a gaming company, we're very, very focused on it. Um, the esports applications... I am not 100% on, to be honest. Um, I, at this point, haven't really seen um, too many people do it, I, I, I think, well. I haven't really seen too many VR esports competitions. I think one of the things, the immersive experience is incredible, but at the same time, um, it's very hard to connect. So that means you're, you're doing 1v1 um, VR at this point. So, you know, that does limit you in some of your ways and, and things like that. So, like, maybe a game like ARMS um, that Nintendo just announced, although they announced their own platform with Switch and it's on, their, it's on the Switch, you know, ARMS, I think, could possibly be a good VR title. It's very much like boxing. It's 1v1. You're, you're you know, you're not really moving around a whole lot. Um, but, at, honestly, at this point, I, I don't know the VR applications in eSports. Um, and maybe somebody's doing it, and I'm just not aware. But I have not heard too much about it. And and to be clear, Josh, in the realm of just video gaming, and the couple of examples you mentioned, I assume that we're talking about a fully immersive experience using the tethered goggles into the console or 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 the PC. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So. So when we think about the broader market of VR with mobile-driven VR experiences, uh, following up on Joe's point, is, is there a – do you think that, that market will evolve in some fashion? Um, you know, I, I personally am, am not 100% sold on VR. I think VR is our, is our mm -hmm. avenue to AR. You know, I think yep. augmented reality is mm – -hmm. Um, really where, where we are going to be eventually, where you're in the world and also you've got these, these additions, these, these virtual additions to our, our real, real world. And, and, you're in a that, and you're in a community, which is different from yep, VR. Which yeah, you're still, yeah, you're still present. Right. Exactly. Right. So I, I, think that, I think that VR will be a stepping stone to AR. 
And um, I think there's always people and there's always, we're always going to want to, you know, have a VR experience. There, there, there's definitely going to be a niche, you know, in the same way that like if I watch a movie at home, I'm turning off all the lights and my phone and I'm going to be immersed in that experience. There's definitely always that. But then there's always the, you know, the I want to play with all my friends and I also want to, you know, have be able to look around the room and interact with people as, you know, they come in or out or whatever. So, you know, I think, like I said, I think AR is, is where we're going to be very, very soon. Hmm. I mean, you're already cool. seeing it with the success of Pokemon Go, you yep. know, they, mm-hmm. they revolutionized everything. So I think that, that I, I, I think that AR and VR will be very interesting to see, you know, how they evolve and, and if they kind of cannibalize one or the other along the way. It's great. Um, Joe, before uh, we think about starting the wrap, let's, um, if it's okay with you, we'll, we'll ask Josh to spend a minute or two on his Georgetown experience. For sure. And his work with some of our friends down there, including our, our old buddy, Jimmy Lynn. So, Josh, tell us about that experience. First of all, what prompted you to go, and what were some of your key takeaways as a young guy looking to build a career in sports uh, from that program? Sure. Um, well, I uh, I applied once, and they didn't let me in. So wow. I um, okay. after that, I was wow. I was just more determined that um, I wasn't going to be denied. So I worked really hard, and I spent a year um, developing relationships, getting better recommendations, working on my, working on my letter and applied again and, and got in. So um, for me, the Georgetown program was, was where I wanted to be. And just the fact that they didn't know it yet, I wasn't going to hold that against them. Um, <laughs> That's great. So, you know, for me, it, it was, it was where exactly where I wanted to be. It was all of a sudden I could do the two things that I love, which are, you know, marketing and, and, and be in sports. And so it, it was a really wonderful experience. I met some really, really great friends who are, are still close to this day. I met people who, you know, like they'll hit me up on LinkedIn for whatever. And I'll just see that we're Georgetown alums. And yeah, I'll be like, of course I'll help out. Um, because that's just what you do. Like I was a, I went to Georgetown prep for high school. I went to Georgetown for, for graduate school. So you know, they really, they, they taught you the, the men for others kind of thing that, that they teach you good, good lessons. And so, um, I, I had an incredible experience at Georgetown. And, and so my, my, the, the strangest thing for me is that I didn't realize at the time that everything that I was learning and, and talking about sports and thinking that I was going to be applying it to, you know, a job at the Redskins or the Nationals or whatever is now being applied to, to video games and esports yep. because at the mm-hmm. end of the day, they're, they're very, very similar. Um, they're different, sure, but you still have to know your consumer. You, every, every sport is different. Every fan is different. Um, you have to go to the live events. You know, I, I, didn't, I didn't understand golf. I, I was like, how can people watch golf? And then I went to the U.S. <laughs> Open, and I was like, holy moly, like – had it, I was there at Congressional on, on Saturday, and Rory was 15 under, and, and it was an incredible – it was like a couple of years ago. It was one of the most incredible sports moments I've ever had in my life. And mm-hmm. so it completely revolutionized how I thought about golf. And now, you know, I'm watching the Masters and all this stuff. And, and I think esports are very similar in that sense 
that people don't really know what it's about or there's no relatability. You know, we all know what it's like to like throw a baseball or throw a football or run or swim. And like, we understand that in at least a very basic sense. Like it's very hard for you to look at the guy playing 2k and, and, you know, hit that perfect crossover to, you know, pull up for three, or I hit this, you know, flawless combo or like Daigo's parry in, in street fighter. Like there's all these different things that like, we don't really understand. You can't, understand the difficulty just you know being an everyday person and i think it's one of the limitations that esports has and so one of my goals is to really help people understand why it's powerful and why it's important and at the end of the day it's important because people care about it and that was one of the things that i learned at georgetown you know they they really did say you know they really taught me that you know regardless of what sport you're you're in what what you're focusing on the same rules still apply. Pay attention to your consumer. Um, you know, make sure that you're pushing the envelope. Make sure you know what other people are doing so you could do something different. All those, all those, you know, little tips and tricks. I, I'm now just learning and, and apply. Or I learned. I'm now applying to to esports. Cool. Hey, um, yeah, it's interesting, Josh. When we saw the, you know, you saw the announcement about NBC getting into esports with the Rocket League. Um, yeah. And I don't know, Joe, if you caught this too. I'm sure you did because I know you look at the press releases like I do. Uh, but they specifically, I think it was the, the spokesman from NBC Sports, specifically mentioned the accessibility of a game like Rocket League, which is fairly simple to understand even for viewers, people trying to score goals essentially, right? Yeah. So you or, you or I, Joe, would watch a game of Quake Probably not under because I never played it personally. I, I don't. I don't think you have. I wouldn't know how to watch it and enjoy it. But conceptually, I could watch Rocket League, which I've seen video clips of, and say, "Yeah, I kind of understand what they're doing." It's this, it's this competition to score. Right. Um, so that's an interesting angle that I hadn't thought about. And I'm wondering, Josh, as a final question before we do the wrap-ups, um, sure. Do you think we'll see more of that as some like and and you can you can offer up this answer from the perspective of Bethesda and, and being a publisher, like as you look to broaden the market and kind of go beyond the video game diehards, do you see more accessible types of games and gaming environments to attract more fans who can relate to it easier? Um, definitely. I think that the, that the games that will bring people into the fold are the games that are simple, um, but also have a very, you know, and, and, uh, and have a, a, a lower entry to, to, you know, play, but also at the end of the day, there's a big gap between, you know, pros and, and everyday players. I think, you know, I think you would be able to watch Quake. Quake is a, a very simple shooter, a bunch of dudes in the arena, and if you get shot and you, you know, blow up, mm-hmm. like, that's, that's a point for the other team. Um, mm-hmm. You know, very similar. Rocket League. It's every, we've all played soccer. We all, you know, we all know what that's like. Um, Street Fighter, for example, or fighting games. I think fighting games are going to be huge going forward. The FGC, mm-hmm. the fighting game community, is one just an incredible community. They're awesome. They're super fun. They're great people. Um, they got a ton of passion. But you know, there's something simple that is universal when you, you understand that life bar and it's like, well, you got hit and that bar went down and 
you know, when that bar hits zero, this character will, will be will be out and this person will win. And and anybody can tune in and, and, and watch that. And I think that those games are going to do incredibly well um, on TV and, and help people understand. Um, you know, whenever I have a, an executive or anybody that I'm trying to help understand, I play Street Fighter with them because it's it's very simple. You have a light, medium, and heavy punch. You have a light, medium, and a heavy kick, and you have a joystick. And I'm assuming that that 60-year-old businessman probably went into an arcade at some point in his youth, if he hadn't uh, recently, and, and stood in an arcade and, and played on a, uh, on a fight mm-hmm. stick, on, a, on that kind mm-hmm. of arcade pad. And I think sometimes, you know, you, you hand that same guy a controller, and, and it, it, it won't it won't kind of um, register in the same way. So, you know, I think mm-hmm. that there are those games that, that are just universally like, oh, okay, I get this, that are really going to help evolve esports. But, you know, right now, like League of Legends is absolutely king. You know, they, they, you know, they crush it. Um, but I don't, I, and, and maybe I'm wrong, but I don't see League of Legends getting a ton of great success on TV. Um, mm-hmm. It's just, I think that the people who are fans will tune in, yes. But, you know, my mom flipping through channels being like, oh, my son's in esports, I'll tune in for this for a second and see what's it about. I don't think she would have the same experience than if she's watching Rocket League or Street Fighter or or one of those more kind of simple games at their core. Um, So I think that, you know, it's all about which games you pick. I think that... just because it, it, it has a more a commercial viability doesn't mean, make it a better and or worse esport. It's just different. You know, like esports, mm-hmm. I think one of the, the big things that, as we kind of wrap up is that esports, it's like saying sports. And like sports include everything from like, you know, like log rolling at the, at the you know, outdoor games to, you know, the NFL. And so it's the same in esports. It's very hard to say esports and then say like, oh, well, this is going to be the way or this is going to be the most successful because, you know, you're talking about football, basketball, swimming, running, you know, like triathlons. Then there's this, then there's that, then there's, you know, the same thing involved. It, 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 it exists in esports. You have fighting games, you have MOBAs, you have social or mobile games, you have you know, all these, you have speed running, which is a form of competition where you, you just kind of try to get through the game as quickly as possible. You know, you have all these different kinds. So when people say esports, that's one of the things that people need to understand is that you're talking, you're saying sports. You're saying like this massive, massive demographic of, of a million different things. So, you know, some will stay, some will grow, some will, you know, change and evolve and things like that. Um, but, it's not ever going to be able to, you know, be able to sit there and say that this is one thing and this is what, you know what I mean? It, it, it's going to evolve. So let me, let me ask you before we let you go, we have two questions that Tom will run through that we yeah. like to ask all our guests. But you touched on something, and, and with the UFC right now and actually with uh, the Mayweather-McGregor fight talking about lifting, ah, boxing, so and, 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 and kind of the, the, the genre of fighting, You've touched, talked a lot about shooting and violence. And yeah. working in that field, how do you address that to say we're in a society right now that has – there was a story that came out this week about the amount of kids being killed in this country by guns. So yeah. when you talk about a genre of esports 
And the UFC has that problem where it's a certain level. At the end of the day, you can't say it's happy fighting. It is what it is. So yeah. if, if eSports is being driven in a big part of a community of shooter games and violent games, how do you justify that as a business going forward in a world where people are saying we're getting way too violent? Sure. Um, there's, there's two parts to it. I think part of it is, you know, the games that, that I think gamers in general, um, at the end of the day, you know, whether you're, you're it, it's all character-based. You know, we don't, we don't really look at it as, like, I'm killing you. It's not, this is not personal. There's a character. There's a, you remove yourself almost mm-hmm. from it. So there, there's the ability to kind of remove yourself, and it's, it's less human in that way. Um, but I think, honestly, I think a lot of it has to do with how video games are presented and how kids learn about video games. For example, I wasn't allowed to play any of these games when I was younger. My parents wouldn't even let me into an arcade. Um, when, I, when I was growing up, I remember Columbine, and, and people were like, mm-hmm. what video games were they playing? Like Marilyn Manson, they were listening to him, and that's why they did this, and like all that stuff. Um, and I think that, you know, as a... As a as somebody who's going to have kids someday, I really want to make sure that my kids understand that, you know, some of these games are mature and that, you know, it's going to take some time. I think one of the things that is such a negative is the gamer stereotype or that, you know, you have to, you you are this dude sitting in your basement, you know, playing, playing games by yourself, doing things that are unhealthy. I think that if we, if we bring games to, to kids at, a, at an age and help them understand what they are and bring them age-appropriate games, um, then they're going to be in a much better situation to handle some of the more violent games that they, that they might come across when they get older. I personally am not a huge fan of it. Um, I think that there's a way to do it that doesn't, you know, isn't as realistic and, and violent. Um, and if I, if my kid were playing some of the games that are out there today, I'd, I'd you know, definitely have uh, put a kibosh on it or, or have some real serious mm-hmm. talks with them. But I think it's all about starting younger is that, you know, helping your kid understand and helping it navigate it with them. You know, I think it was video games were vilified for so long. And, it, it, and when things are vilified like that, there's no, there's no sense of understanding and, and kids don't grow up with the sense that like, okay, I'm going to play games and then I'm going to go outside and I'm going to play with my friends and I'm going to do other things. It's just a part of life. Um, I think what ends up happening is that when it's vilified and when it's treated as it's something that, you know, is a negative, then it, it perpetuates some of these other negative stereotypes. So, you know, for me, what I really want to do is, is you know, set a great example. My, my niece and nephew are, are, you know, big gamers. And, like, he sent me the first game that he made, which was, like, a map game. And it was really, really cool. It was, it was awesome to see. And what I really want to do is help him and help, you know, my sister who's trying to navigate, you know, growing up in a world where video games were vilified with this, new kind of like games are just a, another part of life. Um, and I think that, that as we go through it and as we, you know, teach our kids about it, we have a great opportunity to teach them that like, you know, just like movies, there's some movies that are rated R that like, you know, we'll watch when you're older and, and probably should probably never watch, you know? 
but it, it's very much like movies in that sense. I, you know, they have ratings for a reason. So, you know, it's, it's on you as a parent. I think if you're, if your kid's in, your, in the basement gaming without, you know, anybody's knowledge and things like that, that's when things, um, you know, become dangerous. I think, you know, what we should do is if your kid's gaming, learn, you know, like make sure you, you do stuff, help them balance, help them learn good habits. Then if you do come across something, then it's like, hey, all right, we just saw something very violent. Let's talk about it, you know, like let's, let's have it be part of a larger conversation instead of an isolated incident of violence. So um, I definitely think that there's an issue with, with violence, on, and not just in video games, but on TV and, and movies and things like that. I think, you know, Game of Thrones and some of these shows that, that depict really horrible things, um, I, I don't think is good for us. Um, you know, there's, there's now a, a real need to show you everything. And whether it's, you know, a, a brutal murder or anything like that, they really they linger and, and really make you drink it in. And, and I don't think it's, it's very good for us. Um, but I do think that with, you know, making sure that you're with your kid with, when you're with that other person um, and, and developing the games along with their age, that's when you're in a much better situation and, and somebody's there to answer those tough questions for the kids. So yeah. long story short, I think it, I think it's dangerous, but I think that there are ways that we as, as, you know, people and parents and, you know, we can get involved and we can understand and then we can get to a point where we could talk to our kids about it. I think that's the big issue is that a lot of times when your kid becomes a gamer, there's a disconnect and it enters a world that as a parent, sometimes you might not understand and, you know, just like anything else that your kid is doing, understand, like, figure it out, like, you know, join them, watch them, help, you know, help figure out why they love it. And then you can, you know, a- adapt to it as well. Um, All right. So, Josh, we yeah. have to ra- thank, thank you for that perspective. That's a, that's a complicated sure. topic. And I know there's no easy answer. I think, Joe, it's actually an interesting conversation for the future, perhaps with a sociologist and or psychologist because obviously there's been a lot written on this topic. I think about it um, frequently uh, and, and, and all the stuff that's going on in other parts of the culture beyond gaming, including television, movies, and, and uh, music, uh, make us all think about this topic a lot. So yeah. thank you for your perspective, Josh. I know it's not an easy, it's not an easy answer for anybody. Um, so, Josh, we only have literally a couple minutes left. So we'll do kind of a short version of these last two wrap-up questions. The first is, how do you stay smart? How do you keep up with the flow of information in this business to do good good work at your job? Um, Just consume content. Every morning I go... Be more specific. What are you you looking at? Yeah. Sure, yeah. I mean, there's a a number of different esports related websites. Um. The score, Red Bull Esports, ESPN Esports. There's other there's other sites that are um, um, like game specific. Like Shore Yukin is a fighting game um, kind of uh, website. And I run through, you know, I run through and see how different people report news. I see who's reporting what, um, who's got the exclusive scoop on what. Um, so one of the, the parts is always, you know, staying up on the news of, of kind of how the community feels. 
Um, the other part is, is making sure that you're paying attention to the business side of things. You know, every time there's a Forbes article or this NBC uh, deal, making sure that you understand, what, okay, NBC decided to make a move. That's a big deal. Why? What did they do? What, did, what kind of research? What did they say about it? That's super important to know going forward. So I think it's all about doing the work in terms of, of your research and then going back and making sure you understood, all right, well, so these people did an esports campaign that failed. Why? What, what was the reason because of that? And every time you have a, either a success or a failure, you have an opportunity to learn. So um, mm-hmm. I just consume as much content as I can. Um, that, I mean, it's, it's really that simple. Right, and that's, that's actually, in the way you describe it, is good because basically what you said um, in so many words is that you're, you're applying key critical thinking skills to all the news that's breaking. So when you do hear about Absolutely. Deal, you're actually you're thinking of the, of the, the why and how and, and kind of the, the less obvious issues and, 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 and really thinking it through. And that does take some reflection and does take, as you said, going back oftentimes and, and rereading things or re-listening to comments or whatever. So that's a really good answer. So thank you for that. Yeah. Okay. Well, and Georgetown finally, trained me. Sorry. One, one thing. Well, Georgetown, just to give them a little shout out. They, they trained right, me to and, do that, look, you know? Yeah, no, I'm glad to hear that because I think that is one of the great values of the good um, master's programs where we put a very strong premium on critical thinking skills uh, because that's really, it's so important not only for just personal development, but also in your role, in our respective roles in the industry, that's what uh, complex business needs. And it needs good critical thinkers who have kind of an expansive view of the market and are able to connect these big developments and trends to what actually needs to get done in these companies. So um, I'm glad, glad to hear you're on top of that. Okay, last but not least, um, and we'll make this really fast, so you can give the short answer version this, even though it's a longer conversation, but you're a relatively yep. young guy, but you've had an interesting journey so far, the athletic experience at UNC, the graduate the sports program at Georgetown, a couple different jobs, and now it sounds like you're in a really cool position with Bethesda. Any career advice you can offer young people developing their uh, uh, careers in this business? Absolutely. Yeah, two things. Just do the work, consume the content, whatever it is to, to become an expert in your field. I mean, I, I – was not in this field a couple of years ago and, and I got in and I read everything. I went back, I, I learned, you know, what, what were the great esports moments of, you know, 1996. I, I went back and I learned all that and tried to, you know, get up to speed on everything. Um, and then the other part is, is, you know, stay open. I, I went in expecting to, you know, work for a sports team and, and all of a sudden esports provided me opportunities that, um, you know, sports teams never could. And there's a ton of jobs in esports. I think that's one of the things that if you want to be a sideline reporter, if you want to be a sports cameraman, if you want to be an on-air personality, if you want to be an agent, if you want to be – like, we need all of these people in esports. So every job that is available in traditional sports is or will be available in esports – and there's a lot less people fighting for those jobs than they are, you know, people wanting to work for, for the Washington Redskins. So, you know, for, for me and what I want is I want great, smart people in this industry. And, um, and you know, the opportunities are here. So if you, if you do the work and, and, you know, really grind, you can 
create a, a really great opportunities for yourself in esports. Great. Hey, Josh, uh, as we let you go, and once again, this has been a really uh, informative and kind of wine-raging conversation, but where can people find you on social? Um, who should they be following, uh, especially with the company? What are some of the places that people can learn more about what you're doing? Sure. Um, Bethesda Softworks is, um, is on our Twitter is at Bethesda. Um, my, uh, my Twitter is Extra Barbecue. Um, of course. It was it was it was randomly assigned, and I loved it. It it was brilliant, you know. Um, I I love me some condiments, so I thought it it might as well uh, stick. So yeah, my Twitter is extra barbecue Bethesda's Bethesda Softworks, and uh, and Quake is at Quake. So you great. can you can follow all of us. That's great. Um, Joe, uh, anything else you want to add? No, I think he's covered. I mean, yeah, we could go on for another hour and a half about different stuff. But this was <laughs> no, a great yeah. kind of top line. Uh, we didn't get to mention our friend Jim Van Stone, um, but, you know, hopefully we can revisit the Georgetown experience and a lot of other pieces. Uh, the next time we have you on, which we would absolutely love to have you back, but this has been really helpful talking about everything from E3 to almost making the Olympic team. So, Josh, thanks for joining <laughs> yeah. us. Yeah, yeah so, thank you guys uh, so much our- for your time. Josh, it was terrific. So to remind everybody, we've been talking to Josh Hathkin, who's in the brand management group at Bethesda Softworks, one of the leading video game publishers, about to re-enter the esports space. And 21 years after the first tournament of Quake back uh, in the early days of the Internet in 1996, there'll be a new Quake tournament coming up soon, so you can check that out. And um, follow Bethesda, follow... Extra barbecue. That's with that Twitter handle. <laughs> you got my follow. So, uh, Josh, on behalf of uh, Joe and everybody, Maurice and the rest of the Columbia gang, uh, thanks so much for your time and your insights. Good luck with your Quake tournament. Good luck with expanding the business. And we'll, uh, as Joe said, we'll, we'd love to have you back at some point in the future when we can uh, talk about the new things you're doing. Would love to be back. Thank you guys so much. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the latest episode of The Cusp Show. We'll see everybody next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Cusp Show, the Columbia University Sports Podcast. I'm Tom Richardson, and my host is Joe Favorito. Our production assistant this week is Columbia student Reese Eisenman. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple's podcast app, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and other key platforms. You can also find it at blogtalkradio.com forward slash And you can get in touch with us on Twitter at CU underscore SPS underscore sports. Also, you can find out more about our program, the Columbia University Sports Management Program, by going online at sps.columbia.edu forward slash sports hyphen management. Thank you very much. We'll see you next time.